Numbers 11:24. And Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord and gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people out the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in a cloud and spake unto him and took of the spirit that was upon him and gave it unto the 70 elders. And it came to pass that when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied and did not cease. But there remained two of the men in the camp. The name of the one was Eldad, and the name of the other Medad. And the Spirit rested upon them, and they were of them that were written, but went not out unto the tabernacle, and they prophesied in the camp. And there ran a young man and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad to prophesy in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, one of his young men, answered and said, My Lord Moses, forbid them. And Moses said unto him, Envious thou for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And Moses gat him into the camp, and he, he and the elders of Israel. And there, went a, and there went forth a wind from the Lord, and brought quail from the sea, and let them fall by the camp as it were a day's journey on this side, and as it were a day's journey on the other side, round about the camp, and as it were two cubits, roughly three feet high, upon the face of the earth. And the people stood up all that day and all that night, and all the next day, and they gathered the quail, and he that had gathered least gathered ten homers, and they spread them abroad for themselves round about the camp. And while the flesh was yet between their teeth, ere it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. And he called the name of that place Kibroth Hatavah, because they, there they buried the people that lusted. And the people journeyed from Kibroth Hatavah unto Hazaroth, and abode at Hazaroth. Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men that were upon the face of the earth. We'll end our reading there. Or why he didn't uh, call fire down from heaven upon his brother and sister and upon the people for... All that we've read today, the complaining, the, the covetousness, the jealousy and envy and the uh, um, slander, just so much is being thrown at Moses. And yet we read that he simply took it and prayed. We read again, now the man Moses was very meek above all the men who were upon the face of the earth. And I think we would all agree at that time. Because Jesus would come many years later, and there was never a man as meek as Jesus. Now meek is a difficult word to define. I think it's mostly defined when you read about meekness in action or in inaction in the Bible. If you could define meekness, it would be something like humble strength under control, um, 
Certainly humility is part of the idea of meekness, but meekness is not, as you've often heard, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength, but strength that is corralled. Strength that, that is only used appropriately. Not in an arrogant way, but someone who's strong in the Lord and yet patient and humble and is very selective and careful in the use of whatever their strength may be. A, a meek person can be strong in wisdom or strong in, in uh, goodness or strong in many different ways. You can be meek, but always careful to not exercise it randomly and for selfish reasons, but to just be calm in the midst of chaos, if you will. And the Bible gives us often pictures of Jesus from the Old Testament in the characters that are brought forth that have been converted by the Lord and, and are living for the Lord. Even the offices like the prophet, priest, and the king, the three main offices, the three main anointed leaders in the Old Testament. All, even the offices picture Jesus. Jesus is the prophet that brings the word of God, the priest that offers himself for our sins, and the king who subdues us in, unto himself and protects us from our enemies. As far as we can tell, there was no one individual in the Old Testament that occupied all three offices. There were prophets that were not priests and kings. There were priests that were not prophets and kings. There were kings that were not prophets and priests. David, we know, was a king, but he was also a prophet. He was not a priest. So they reflected the Lord in one or two of the offices, but they always fell short of being the Messiah. There were times that people wondered, is this the Messiah, this good king, or this decent prophet? And they were all, their hopes were dashed to pieces when they found out that these men were men at best, were sinners that needed forgiveness. It the hearts of people that recognized when Jesus came, Jesus of Nazareth, he never sinned in thought, word, or deed. What a blessing it must have been when they saw him and said, this is the Messiah. Which, of, which one of us can... There's a man come from heaven. He's God the Son, come from heaven, who became man and lived in our place, and died in our place. He is the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the chosen one of God to save us from our sins and to give us eternal life. But he was always anticipated in the Old Testament by the prophecies about him, that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would be from the tribe of Judah, that, that he would um, be a king, that he would uh, be a virgin. But he was also prophesied by some of the characteristics of, of godly people in the Old Testament. For instance, when you think of wisdom, you think of Solomon. Uh, in uh, Trinity's family, they just named little baby Solomon. Solomon was, a, was a, certainly a, a type of Christ in that he was a king, but a type of Christ that he was the wisest man that ever lived. The Lord Jesus came, just like Moses was the meekest man that ever lived until Jesus came. But Solomon disappointed, didn't he? He fell into idolatry. He, uh, he, he became angry, unrighteously angry toward the end of his life. He didn't end well, but he was a believer. 
When you think of power, you think of Samson, don't we? I mean, some people look, when they draw Samson, they draw some hulk of a guy, but there's no indication that he was some hulk. He made 180 pounds. It doesn't indicate that. They were wondering, where does he get this strength? They didn't say, well, he lifted weights. And he's, you know, he's six foot five and 350 pounds, all muscle. No, they said, where did he get this, this power? The Lord Jesus had power, didn't he? He had power to heal, walk on the water, and, and save sinners. When you think of like Abraham, trusted the Lord for that which wasn't yet seen, the perseverance of Joseph. They all anticipated these, that particular char- characteristic, they anticipated Jesus, who would be a man of prayer, a man of wisdom and courage, and obedience and love, power, perseverance, and faith. But meekness is especially seen in Moses as a picture of Christ. And the man Moses was very meek, it says, more than any man that was on the face of the earth. Again, this is probably an editorial comment. Just like John has editorial comments in his gospel when he says, for instance, that the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. He has some parenthetical statements, in other words. And this is kind of a parenthesis about Moses, that he was the meekest man that ever lived. I wonder, what could be said of, of you and me, who are believers? Is there any, any particular uh, character trait that, where we reflect the Lord Jesus backwards? They reflected him forward because he had yet come. But do people see anything in particular about Jesus in us? I hope so. I trust. Do they see prayerfulness? Do they see kindness? Do they see meekness? Do they see faith? Do they see perseverance? May God help us to reflect Jesus in as many ways as we can because people read us and they may not read the Bible. Paul talked about that that we are God's epistles known and read of all men. If people don't pick up the Bible and read, they're going to read... The only Bible they're going to read is our lives. And do they see Jesus in us? How is it that you can be so meek in so much in so many pressure cookers? How is it that you can maintain your your uh, patience and maintain your cool? What is the answer? It's Jesus that, that has saved me. It's Jesus that is is my potter, and he's working on me as clay, dealing with my rough edges. But we can point people to Jesus. He must increase, not us. We would all, as, we, as Dan talked about earlier, we all, we all deserve God's wrath for one sin. God is so holy. But yet Jesus, it's because of Jesus, no sin, dying for our sins, that we have any acceptance with God. And so meekness is gentleness seen, especially in crises, humble kindness under distress, lowly leadership, not someone that lords over the people as a leader. But Moses typifies what Peter says about elders and churches, that we're not to, to, to manage, we're not to 
exercise leadership reluctantly but willingly. Not for money, but of a ready mind. Not as lords, domineering, but as examples. And this is what Moses was like. Moses was not reluctant, although at first we remember, how is it that I can lead the people out of Egypt? Pharaoh isn't going to listen to me. I'm just a a Johnny-come-lately. I'm just a nobody. And yet that is the spirit of of someone that, that... that, we, be, that should be our spirit. We can't, Lord. In and of ourselves, we can't do anything to glorify you. We need you, Lord. But God says he gives grace to the lowly before honor is humility. And, and that, that word is used also in Second Samuel. It's actually translated, thy gentleness hath made me great. So it's gentleness is the idea of meekness. Gentleness that is a strong gentleness. It sounds contradictory, but it's not. Strong gentleness. Gentleness that's strong. I just want us to look at a few of these circumstances and see how Moses was meek in the midst of pressure. And that we should pray, Lord, help me. Please mold me to be a meek person. First of all, we we can't be meek until we know the one who's meek until we know Jesus, until we, until we obey what he said, come unto me, Lord, I come, I come by faith, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Lord, I'm labored down, I'm heavy laden by my sin. Jesus says, and I will give you rest. Talk about salvation, he gives us the salvation rest, forgiveness of sins. All oh, sin just weighs us down, weighs our conscience down, weighs us, our hearts down. And we need sin lifted off our backs. And Jesus took sin upon his back. And we've got to get our sin to Jesus. We've got to get to him for forgiveness. Then we can become meek or pressured. And we we are full of worry and anxiety. Peter goes on to say, remember, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. He does care. I know he cares. We were going to sing that hymn, but we forgot to to bring it this morning. I know he cares. What? Pardon? I must tell Jesus, right, all of my sorrows, all of my burdens. But there is that hymn that says, I know he cares. Oh, yes, he cares. His heart is, is touched with my grief. When the days are weary and the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. So judgment fell upon the people because of their complaining. And if God would judge me for every time I complain, I wouldn't be here today, long gone. But God was patient. They'd been in a year, over a year. He'd provide, think about millions of people with manna every day. Just the bread showed up every morning. On top of the dew, so it wasn't dirty. You know, there were sands, there was desert. And so it was better than a plate. Just thick dew, and it then fell upon the thick dew, so it was nice and moist. And it's just so versatile. It was, it was as he, he explains, it was it, donuts in the desert. It, it describes it as fresh oil and as honey, with a little bit of spice, a coriander seed. Nothing like it. It was the best 
It was better than than uh, Eileen's and 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 uh, the, the, that donut place that people get donuts in West Seneca. You know, it was pastry in the desert. And yet they complained. And the Lord, in his in his wisdom, it says he especially dealt with those in the uttermost part, the edges of the camp. And you know, probably describing the people that were most, there were the murmurers. And so the people cried to Moses that he might intercede and ask for God's mercy. And you know, Moses could have said if he wasn't me, you know, I hope more of them die that, that complain. Or, you know, I'm tired of the complaining. But what does Moses do? Lord, Please. We talk about meek and just gentleness. He's, he's concerned that not another person would die. Just had a heart for the people. He just was meek. He didn't lash out. Oh, he was disappointed. And when I complain, other I disappoint other people. And you know, it's disappointing because we are living in a fallen world and we should expect difficulties in a fallen world and in a sinful world. And instead of complaining, we should pray, Lord, help me. I know you can provide this or that. and I didn't expect this illness or that accident or whatever and just trust the Lord that he'll work all things out for good to those that love him. But how often I complain. What is complaining? It's just dissatisfied with the, with the situation. Who brings the situations? God is in control of the circumstances. I'm not saying we we can't sometimes, you know, ask for a raise, or you know, ask leadership to be a little bit more thoughtful. But I'm saying, as far as the complaining is concerned, we need to take our prayers to the Lord and trust He can change the hearts of people. And Moses interceded for the people. The Lord was gracious to answer his prayers. And how Jesus prays for us. He didn't pray that fire would fall down upon Jerusalem because they rejected him. He, he sighed. He said, oh, Jerusalem, would God, I had gathered to you like a hen gathers her chicks. But you wouldn't. He wept over Jerusalem. How often people murmured before him and how he prayed and prayed and prayed. What a meek man Jesus was and is. And secondly, there's an ingratitude that prevails as we considered last week, but the mixed multitude lusted, the word coveted, same word for the 10th commandment, Deuteronomy 5, I shall not covet overly desirous. Here they were complaining about the Bible calls the manna in Psalm angel food. Angel's food. Desert, again, it's desert in the desert. And this time Moses was angry and, you know, meekness does not, never, meekness does get angry at times, but not overly angry. But notice Moses' angry response is coincides. It's associated with the Lord's displeasure at first. Moses' heart was after God's heart. Here Moses is thinking, God has been so good to us. Millions of people, and we get bread every day. And it's not just 
just not just plain old bread. It's better than than buttered bread and buttered and toasted bread. It's 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 got jelly on it, as it were. It's got honey on it. And he gave this to them in the desert for forty years. Miracle food. But it was picturing Jesus who came from heaven to give us bread who are beggars in this wilderness. And it upset Moses that they wanted flesh. And, you know, the Lord would have given, I'm convinced if they'd have just asked for it, instead just lusted for it and craved it and, and demanded it. And that's what got them in trouble. Here they're just chewing on this, apparently a lot of it was just raw food that they were eating. They couldn't wait just to collect it and take it into the, into the camp and cook it. It's just like what Saul forced his army to do, remember, when they were so hungry, he, should have, he shouldn't have enacted a fast while they were fighting. They needed strength. They needed food. And so... That what should especially upset us is when we're in ungrateful. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning us. You know, people have lived for centuries, and, and there's still people that live hand to mouth every day. They don't have their cupboards full. It is, is very practical to pray, give us this day our daily bread. How grateful we should be to have next we, most of us in this room probably have tomorrow's food too and next Saturday's food. How grateful we should be that the variety that we have and yet how ungrateful I can be. I want something else, something different. I'm tired of the same of God would help us. There are people that eat rice morning, afternoon, and evening and they're grateful that they have something to eat. But this is the miracle bread that they loathed. And we should not loathe the preaching of Christ and the preaching of the free gospel. People want something different, something to, to tickle their ears. And, and we need to be grateful for the, the old-time gospel that just satisfies our soul day after day after day. The, 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 the uh, Attributes of Christ, the works of Christ, the words of Christ. Christ satisfies. Jesus satisfies our soul day after day after day. We're not here to be entertained. We're here to give the Lord the glory that's due unto his name. And so often places are just, you know, come and be entertained. The flesh loves to be entertained. But God is to be glorified. We're here to praise him, to thank him for his mercy, to acknowledge that he's the Lord that sits upon the throne, that we're his servants, and yet he calls us his friends, yea, even his children. When the burdens seem so overwhelming to Moses, Meekness sighs and meekness cries. It's like we sing again, I must tell Jesus. And it's a very heart-wrenching prayer, isn't it? Verses 11 to 15. I can't do it anymore, Lord. Why have you afflicted me so much? The burden of their complaining and their coveting. I 
can't, I can't carry this burden alone. I haven't conceived all this people. I haven't born them. I can't carry them in my bosom like a nursing father. Where am I going to get flesh to give these bear this burden alone? It's too heavy for me. And you know, it's an interesting, it sounds like suicide, but it isn't suicide. He just wants to go to heaven. He's so confident, the assurance of eternal life. I mean, if you don't have the assurance of eternal life, you're not going to pray. Verse 15, kill me, I pray, be out of hand if I have found favor in your sight. Did not believers in the Old Testament have the, the assurance of eternal life? But you ever felt that low, that burdened? I can't go on another day. Lord, take me home. That's what he's saying. Take me home. I can't do it. Just, that's, that's still meekness. It's, it's, he's, he's a strong man of God, and yet he feels his weakness as a man, as a human being. He needs insufficiency every day. You, you feel that at times? I feel like it every day. Yesterday's labors are gone. Now that we have new burdens, new challenges. I feel that sometimes, especially after Sunday. You pour out your heart, speak three times, and now you got to start all over again on Monday morning. Three more next Sunday, one more on Wednesday, and you know, sometimes it just feels too heavy. And yet, I feel so much like a wimp when I read about George Whitfield in the 1700s that preached about three times every day. Every day, three times. You are his family cares. Cry out to the Lord. When it sighs and cries for the Lord's help. And then we see when the needs seem to contradict the promises of God that he's going to give them flesh to eat. And he sees not only a couple of million people, 600 footmen. He's talking about just the soldiers themselves. How am I going to provide for all? The Bible tells us there was a day's journey all around the camp, and the, the, the quail were three feet deep. I mean, even a little child could grab a quail. Where'd they come from? It's a miracle manna. It's certainly a miracle wind that brought them. I can't, I, I, it's beyond my thoughts where those, the quail came from. God can multiply quail as he multiplies bread and fish. But Moses, I think we can tell that it wasn't unbelief, it was just simply a question. Just like Mary, you know, in the New Testament, when he was told as an old man that he's going to see his wife, who was an old woman, to have a child, and he said, how can this happen? We're too old. And the Lord blinded him, or, or uh, uh, muted him, until John the Baptist was born. But then Mary seems to do the same thing when he says, you're going to bear a son without a husband. And she just, well, we, I think the, two, the difference is Zacharias was unbelieving in his question and Mary was believing. She was just simply naive, a positive, a good naivety. How am I going to have a child when it takes a male and a female? And the Lord didn't smite her with muteness or, or blindness. 
I think the difference was there was a, simply a, a, an answer, an a, a question asked in faith versus unbelief. And I think this is a, this is a question Moses is asking. How is it, Lord? But we, we might say to Moses if he was, you know, if we heard him pray, wait, Moses, come here. We're getting manna every day. <laughs> We're getting manna. Millions of people, people are getting manna every day. Can't the Lord bring quail just like he sends manna from heaven? But again, Moses is a little bit exasperated. It's challenging his meekness. And he just is asking the Lord sincerely, how is it going to happen? And what was the Lord's answer? My hand short, my arm shortened, and it cannot say. I love that verse, don't you? Verse 23, is the Lord's hand waxed short? Thou shalt see now whether my word shall come to pass unto thee or not. Okay, Lord. I think we see Moses with his tail between his legs, and he's, he's, he's acquiesced to the Lord. And he goes out and tells the people the words of the Lord and he gathers the 70 men of the elders of the people. So again, here's meekness. Submitting to a seemingly impossible scenario. But meekness is also unselfish. Verses 16 to 20 and 24 to 30 is when the Lord puts Moses' spirit upon the 70 elders and the elders begin to prophesy. And two of them in particular stayed in the camp and began to just preach the word of God and they were being a blessing. And, and two men, including Joshua, said to Moses, you should be jealous. You've got all these people that are even more golden mouth than you are. They're, they're being a great blessing in the camp, and essentially that's what they're saying. They might replace you. You might not be needed anymore. And you know, a person that is not meek and self-centered is going to say, yeah, get rid of them. You know, Let's put them in their place. Jealousy would rise up. What, an, what a statement that he makes. Would you read that with me? Would to God all these people, everybody, not just the 70, would that everybody had the Spirit of God. Would that everybody was blessed of God. It's the Lord that's magnified. I'm grateful for the help. Are you jealous for me? We ought not to be jealous. So often the world is full of jealousy. Somebody's going to take my place at work. Somebody's going to take my spot. If it be God's will, we should rejoice when someone else gets a raise. When someone else gets a job. God has been good to us. And there are times we have to say, like Job, the Lord gave and the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He'll take care of us. And God will take care of people that are abusing their employees too. We have to commit that to the Lord too. There are times we have to, like Joseph, take, take the hit. Joseph was able to endure 13 years in, in prison for doing nothing wrong. And God used that to humble him and to make him meek so that when the time came that he could just imprison all of his brothers for the rest of their lives, 
he would instead burst out crying when he, when he saw that they were really strained at the test that he was giving them. What made Joseph meek, humanly speaking, was God putting him in jail for 13 years to humble his pride and to make him like Christ. Persevere in those trials. Are we jealous of others who seem to have more blessing than we may have blessing? Are we rejoicing that others are being blessed? Or are we jealous that we're not being as blessed? Well, if that's so, that I'm, if I'm jealous because of others being blessed, then I need to go back to prison. <laughs> we need to go to prison. We need meekness worked out in our hearts. Because at the end of the day, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. So it, it threatened Moses' exit, seemingly limiting his usage, but oh, that God would bless all of his people. And I read the first three verses of chapter 12 because there's another and maybe a more, even most difficult distress in Moses' life. You know, the people were complaining and the mixed multitude were lusting and, and yet Moses, I think, felt this most deeply, didn't he? His own sister and brother went against him says in chapter 12, Miriam and Aaron. Miriam and Aaron were his older sister and brother. It says they spake against him. The smoke screen was that he, must, that he married a, an African woman. That wasn't the real reason why they were persecuting their brother. They believed that he was God's leader. Responded. What did he say? says they complained, they spake against their brother because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? And hath he not spoken also by us? And so they're saying, Who are you? Who are you to take the lead? And, and I, I think to myself, Didn't they just observe what happened? The lightning on the, on, the, on the edge of the camp. The judgment upon those who had the raw flesh in their teeth, between their teeth. We forget, don't we? We forget that God judged the world with flood. We forget that, that people have been judged for lesser crimes. And what was Moses' response? Absolute quiet. His response was meekness. He loved his sister and his brother. And his heart was not, Lord, send fire down from heaven and smite him. But he just, he probably, I, I, I wouldn't doubt that he had tears in his eyes. Miriam and Aaron, it's not about me. I didn't call myself into this ministry. I just commit you to the Lord. Was there ever a person vindicated so quickly and clearly? I didn't read the rest of it. You know the rest of the story. We hope to, to 
consider it next week. Miriam was a godly woman. But that didn't excuse her for slandering her brother. And the Lord smote her with leprosy for seven days. And that was merciful. God has smitten people with leprosy for the rest of their lives. But so important was Miriam in the camp that they didn't even proceed until she came back. She was a leader in the camp. Remember, she led the women out after the the Red Sea, the, the Exodus, and they praised God. She had a very important position in the camp, a mentor among the women of the camp. And we believe that in this case she was in the lead because Aaron didn't get the leprosy. And Miriam is mentioned first here. And so she, it was her idea, basically, let's go after Moses. And Moses is like, look, if Basically, if, if God wants to put you two in the lead and set me back, may it be. It's not about me. It's about the Lord's glory and the good of all of our people. You see the meekness of Christ. How the Lord Jesus, hanging on a cross, how meek he was. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy his enemies. And he called not one angel to destroy. It was, one, it was an angel that strengthened him in, the, in Gethsemane. He, he reserved the angels to tell the people that he was risen from the dead just a few days later. Oh, the meekness when they were, when they were profaning him, when they were swearing at him doing just like this with Moses. Who are you? I thought you were the Son of God. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. Here's a man dying, asphyxiating, crucified to a tree, and praying for his enemies. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Caring for his mother. Saving a man that had just sworn at him. The Bible tells us that both of the men that were crucified on either side of Jesus were slandering him. But all of a sudden, one man's heart was turned just before it was too late. You know, the man that cried, there were two men on the opposite sides of Jesus, three crosses, all three men crucified. The two on opposite sides of Jesus are, are slandering him. But all of a sudden, one of them turns and rebukes the other man and says, we deserve what we're getting, but this man doesn't deserve it. He's done nothing wrong. He believed that Jesus was the Messiah, was the King, was the Savior. And you remember the cry of that thief on the cross? Lord, remember me. Is that word, remember, covenant, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's dying. He's thinking he's got a kingdom. He's dying on a cross. Criminals were dying on crosses, not kings. He believed he was the king. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus, a crucified man today, Verily, right? Verily, I say unto you, 
today you will be with me in paradise. How meek of the Savior. And he made a, a man who's converted how long? The Bible says right after, this is the last saying before the darkness ends. This is the last opportunity for this man. He was saved a yard from hell. Uh, just moments before darkness hit and there's no more conversation between Jesus and human beings. Jesus saves him. If anyone, you say, that man must not, he didn't bear as much fruit as you could bear in one hour or three hours of being saved. It's the meekness of Jesus that caused any of us to be saved. Or we would all have been destroyed. None of us deserve his mercy. We've all been ungrateful, haven't we? We've all trusted in our own works. Which one of us can say that we deserve God's mercy and salvation? It's the meekness of Jesus that saves any soul. Strength under absolute control. And Moses... What an example of Christ. What a privilege they had to have a Christ-like man like Moses lead them. God is wise in his choices, isn't he? But it's the Lord that made Moses meek. And we have a Savior that's meek and lowly of heart where we can find rest to our soul, forgiveness of sins, the hope of eternal life, so what does Jesus say to us again today? Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And you shall, what is it? And, and, and my, for my yoke is easy. The word easy means useful. It's not easy like because sending Paul out to get persecuted wasn't easy. But it was useful. It, helped, it, it was productive. And though the Christian life is difficult, when a person gets saved, you've got a mark on your back now for the devil to take his arrows and his fiery darts. But you'll never, you'll, your life will finally become productive for the kingdom of God and for eternity. Oh, how I wasted years without Christ. My yoke is easy. My burden is we trust Jesus today, meet Jesus for the salvation of your soul and the hope of eternal life. He'll make your life useful. He'll make your life count for God and for eternity. Lord, we bless you. We can learn of you anywhere in the Bible. For you have said, Lord, that these are the things that reveal you. You showed your disciples the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, the things concerning yourself. And I think, Lord, that we learn something about yourself here in Numbers. And I pray that we would trust you. We feel so often so unglued and impatient. We need thee, Lord. Please lift the burden the sinful burden from our hearts. Forgive our sins. And mold us to be meek 
people Christ-like in pressure, distress. Thank you, Lord, that you are the potter and you can mold the clay. Make us more and more like Jesus, we pray. In his name, amen.